You want to see something really scary? Just consider somebody may be out there in a Jim Jordan costume tonight. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Happy Halloween. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. Laura did her big dress up for Halloween in the office yesterday. It was pretty cool. She was not Jim Jordan or she was not Matt Huffman. What, what would you say you actually were? I was a cupcake. A I had cupcake. I had a candle in my hair. You know, I had this big tool skirt and sprinkle earrings and a headband. But yes, I kept getting mistaken for Barbie, which, you know, that's not an insult. I, Barbie's fine. I was wearing pink. It's all good. There'll be a lot all, of Barbies not trick-or-treating tonight That for sure. It was all pink. And then in the office, we had all sorts of cool stuff. And we, Josh Duke came dressed as one of those guys in the red suits with the square things on the mask from Squid Game and was very effective <laughs> when he walked through the office with the mask on. You were like, whoa. So very cool day in Alex the office. Alex Darris was mustard, which fits her foodie beat. Yeah. Um, and Mike Rose, I thought this was hilarious. He was wearing a um, measuring tape around himself. like, a, And I said, oh, are you a tailor? And he's like, yes. And I have a business card that says alterations in 15 minutes. And I was like, okay. And he's like, get it? I'm Taylor Swift. I was like, oh, that's oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of impersonators, who is this man calling himself Rob Portman? And what has he done with our former senator? What are the ideas Portman wants to examine for restoring some sanity to our elections and our democracy? Laura. This is the Portman Center for Policy Solutions at the University of Cincinnati, and it just opened uh, last week. They're going to analyze ranked choice voting and, and other primary election reforms as part of their mission. And this is not something I've heard Portman talk about in the past. We knew that he was forming this center um, at the University of Cincinnati once he stepped down from the Senate. So... Alaska and Maine recently adopted ranked choice voting. That's when voters rank their preferred candidates in order. And if no candidate gets a majority of first place votes, then the system eliminates candidates with the fewest and redistributes the ballots to the second choice. He wants to study the California system. That's when all the candidates appear on the same primary ballot. So you don't have to pull a Democrat or Republican. You probably don't have to. You could be anything, right? And then the two top vote getters in the primary move to the general election, regardless of party affiliation. That's how a lot of nonpartisan mayors' races work around here. Yet, you know, in Ohio, we have a state house bill that would outlaw ranked choice voting, thanks to Teresa Gavarone uh, from Bowling Green, I believe. She wants to withhold any local government funds to any municipality or county that wants to use alternative voting because Ohio. Ranked choice voting does confuse people. So I think that's a harder hurdle to leap over. The open primary is as simple as it gets. Mm -hmm. Get rid of the parties. They are destroying America. In Cuyahoga County, the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party is a joke. It gives us terrible candidates and we have no choice on the ballot. You go in in November and you got their terrible candidate and often nobody else or some weak Republican who can't win in this county. On the state level, it's the total opposite. We get people like Matt Huffman in office who has no business being there because of the gerrymandering and the fringe of the party picking the candidates. If you had open primaries where everybody voted, most people are registered independents. Mm -hmm. The majority are independent. They could all vote. They're centrist. 
They're sane. They would pick reasonable candidates. So in November, you'd have a reasonable choice. This is the no brainer of no brainers. And I'm just thrilled that Rob Portman is getting on it. Absolutely. He announced this at an Ohio State University conference in Columbus on Friday. He said political party primaries are one source of the problems. He has a couple others he wants to look at. The advent of online political fundraising. He said that encourages candidates to continually throw out red meat to their party's most ideological supporters so they can raise money continuously. And then the media's tendency to elevate these controversial voices, which we've seen and we've taken a stand against. We're not going to put out everything all the hate speech that a lot of these candidates say, because I mean, they're just doing it for attention and that's the truth, right? They're doing it for attention. They get coverage and then it drives people further and further to polls. Look, if we had open primaries, J.D. Vance would not be our senator. It mm -hmm. just it wouldn't happen. You know, Bernie Moreno would have no shot at winning a primary if everybody got to vote, not just the crazy people on the furthest right fringes of the party. It's a it's a it's a move we desperately need to get back to what America is, which is much more in the center uh, I my eyes popped out of my head when Andrew Tobias dropped the story. I didn't know it was coming until it published. It was like, wait, what? And man, all power to Rob Portman. I hope he pushes it hard. We're with him. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've all been there, sick as dogs and needing medicine and having to drag ourselves and our chills to a pharmacy to get it. How's the Cleveland Clinic looking to the skies to make getting our medicine easier and faster, Layla? The hospital system announced this morning that it plans to use drones to deliver medications to patients' homes starting in 2025. The clinic is partnering with the San Francisco-based drone company called Zipline to create this drone delivery program. Zipline uses autonomous drones to, to deliver vaccines, blood, animal health products, and other things to homes and hospitals and businesses all across the country and, and overseas. And the service that they plan to deploy here will be super fast. You could get your prescription in as little as 10 minutes after it's ordered and packaged. You'll be able to track the packages in real time, and it won't cost you anything extra. The clinic plans on making hundreds of flights every day once this program is up and running. And the drones will fly out of a central pharmaceutical distribution hub, though they're not disclosing where exactly that's located for obvious reasons. And these little drones look like mini airplanes. They'll fly no higher than 300 feet because of federal drone regulations. But the drones use multiple sensors and GPS to make sure that they're going to the right location. And once they get there, they will hover. <laughs> this is so funny. They'll hover and then extend a cable to the ground and the cargo container will slide down the cable to the landing site like a porch or a table or a driveway. So no mini parachute or anything like that. This is very precise technology, they say. It, what yeah. could go wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen a cat with a string? I just, I have a feeling that you're going to have some mishaps. We're going to look elsewhere because drone delivery is being used elsewhere. And the technology is pretty incredible. It can deal with heavy snow and it can dodge obstacles. It's just, if you have hundreds of these things going out every day, you got to figure there's going to be some interesting moments. The other thing is, if you follow anybody with drones on social media, these things go haywire all the time. They drop into lakes, they go off in the woods. And they, I mean, it's technology. It fails. And 
what happens if this fails? Do you get bonked in the head? Do hawks swoop at it? I, I, it just seems like there's going to be some comedy, if not tragedy, that follows hundreds of drones fanning out across Cleveland every day to drop Robitussin on people. Well, or misdeliveries. I mean, what if it drops it at the wrong house? And some of the medicines people are expecting here are, are really important. You know, they, they, they need them. So a drone can't really get lost and route. That's that could be that could be really detrimental to the patient. Not only that, there are a lot of substances that, you know, shouldn't just be out there in the world without <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't want to get a, a drone carrying some kind of opioid lost in in, <laughs> what about in like the Metro Park buildings? or something. I mean, just gonna land in a parking lot of an apartment building? Yeah, that I was wondering that too. A lot of people live in high rises or multifamily units, apartment complexes, you know, this this really is only technology that seems to serve single family homes. But if you have a hundred and two fever and you have to get dressed and drag yourself up. It, it's truly awful. We've all been there. To not have to do that would be a godsend. And so I hope it works. It's fascinating. Um, it's just, I, you're going to look up and you're going to see drones whizzing around overhead. And what happens when that starts to be a thing? Do you think that there will well, be some kinds of medicine that they will not deploy this way? Well, narcotics, I would, I would expect yeah. you can't. I, I bet that there are serious rules about deploying narcotics that way. Look, when I um when I had an order, when my dog was in pain, when, when she had a big jaw bone tumor before we had it taken out, she was on some pretty heavy-duty medicine. I had a sign for it, even though it was dog medicine. I had to show my driver's license and sign for it. So I would expect that anything that's narcotic you would have some extra requirements, not just some cable dropping down where the squirrels can get at it. <laughs> right. Cool story. Julie's got it on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The people fighting the abortion amendment on the ballot one week from today have tried all sorts of questionable methods. One is pretending the heartbeat bill doesn't exist, as we've reported. Another is this bogus argument that the proposed amendment is somehow extreme or goes too far, which is nonsense. It doesn't. It puts the decision between a person and their doctor. Governor Mike DeWine finally seems to recognize the folly of the efforts to date and is offering a different, more strategic tactic this week. With a week to go, Lisa, what's he doing? This seems like a Hail Mary pass to me. <laughs> but government, Governor DeWine was saying yesterday, he said that, you know, if issue one passes, he says that the state is limited on what they can do to change what he calls an extremely radical constitutional amendment. But he said, if it's defeated, there are lots of things we can do to change the law. So apparently he's kind of seeing the polling and, and realizing that a majority of Ohioans will probably vote to pass issue one. So he said, you know, if we're able to defeat this amendment, we need to come up with something that most Ohioans can agree on. He said the vast majority do want exceptions for rape and incest, which are not present in the current heartbeat law, which, you know, ends pregnancies at six weeks or gives a six week limit, although it's on hold because it's going through the courts. So I don't know. Pro issue one spokesman Gabriel Mann says, 
they're getting desperate. First, they tried to rig the game with an August special election. Now they're pretending that they're going to change laws already on the books. And remember, DeWine signed the heartbeat law gladly in 2019, fulfilling a campaign promise that he made. And as I said, that bill has no exceptions for rape and incest. And there were anti-issue one supporters canvassing in Dublin yesterday. They got a little pep talk from Governor DeWine and Attorney General Dave Yost that they were in attendance before the canvassers went out to do their thing. What they just don't get, what Ohio doesn't get is they're going against the will of the people. That's what Ohio government is these days. They keep doing things that the majority of Ohioans don't want. That's what issue one in August was. They were they were trying to convince Ohioans to go against their own self-interest. People want abortion to be legal. That's clear. It's been clear for many years now. And these guys are trying to overthrow the will of the majority of the people. It's not going to work. They're going to pass it and there's nothing they can do about it. But when do the elected officials finally sit back, take a look at what the electorate wants and start to serve them? The people we have in Columbus elected by fringe nutjobs are doing the opposite of what most Ohioans want. This battle is just the latest example. The, the thing about the bill being too extreme, that's the biggest bunch of garbage. That, that That's the new one, right? They didn't try that, I don't think, in Michigan or somewhere else. That's, that's the new fight in Ohio. Let's see if we can use this tactic. It's not going to work, and it's not true. But it's a folly to think that he's going to, because the only way that this would work was his, for him to get some yes voters to change their minds to no. And I don't think anybody's going to do that, especially no. this late in the game. No, everybody made up their mind on this before it was even on the ballot. And But at what point, if you're an elected leader, do you say, okay, the people have spoken. This is what they want. Even though my personal beliefs don't fit it, I represent this state. And this state wants this. It, it's just constant how how this goes on in Ohio, trying to force stuff down the throats of the people that want it. Look, the state legislature could have legalized marijuana. Clearly, Ohio wants that. They wouldn't do it. So now it's going to the ballot. It's it's one time after another. The people in our legislature, the elected officials do not follow the wishes of the people they serve. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The notoriously bad Cleveland Hopkins International Airport is notoriously bad for parking, even more so for the past eight months as it has done construction on the main parking garage. Laura, is it finally over in time for the holidays? It is open, just in time for everyone flying off to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving. This garage is going to be there for you, approximately 4,000 spaces. It's been a construction zone for the past eight months, with as many as half the spots out of commission while work was ongoing. They spent $4.5 million on this. They didn't. They removed and replaced expansion joists, repaired cracks, replaced concrete, installed crush wall support brackets and added a new walkway through the garage to enhance pedestrian safety. Did not include any upgrades to the Hopkins bathrooms though. And somebody emailed us this morning and said it doesn't have security cameras. I don't know that for a fact, but that's an interesting thing to check. I know if you go to pretty much any shopping center now, there are cameras everywhere. They have them in the parking lots for some of the Metro parks. If they don't have cameras in that garage, cause they've had a theft problem. We've had yes. a lot of cars stolen there. If you're doing all that construction, why not run the cameras? I don't get that. I, I don't either. It, it seems to be a security problem. You would want to know who's in the garage. I mean, not just for the safety of the cars and the people, which 100%, but also because it's an airport. 
Okay. Well, we'll see if it fills up as the holidays approach. $22 a day. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of long-term parkers, but who knows? You're listening to Today in Ohio. The board has been selected to operate the new Waterfront Development Authority charged with finally making Cleveland's lakefront and riverfront accessible and fun for all. Layla, who's heading it up and who fills out the board? Yeah, the city announced the official launch of this nonprofit North Coast Waterfront Development Corporation to oversee this massive undertaking. And this 10-member board is going to be headed up by Dave Gilbert, CEO of Destination Cleveland and the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. The organization's responsibilities are going to include planning, financing, land management coordination, development oversight, community benefits, and development coordination and partnership. The nonprofit would would also provide oversight for a potential new community authority, a public entity empowered under Ohio law to oversee, build, and finance public infrastructure and community facilities. So the the other members of this board, uh, we have Mayor Justin Bibb from the city of Cleveland, Blaine Griffin, the Cleveland City Council President, and a number of other important people. Vice Chair of the board is Ayanna Blue Donnell, the Vice President. Um, of Ohio Market for Enterprise Community Partners. The treasurer is Michael Taylor from PNC Community Development Banking. We have Pat Rios, the executive director of buildings and design for the Cleveland Clinic. Greg Harris, the CEO of Rock, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Kristen Ellenbogen, the CEO of Great Lakes Science Center. Will Friedman, CEO of Cleveland Cuyahoga County Port Authority. And David Jenkins, the CEO of Haslam Sports Group. You have some huge egos on that board. I mean, that <laughs> right. is, talk about herding cats. These are big egos, think that they can walk on water. So you need somebody who's going to be the top guy to be able to to move that. And Dave Gilbert does have a history of moving things along. He was the guy, if you'll recall, took over the planning for the RNC in 2016 in midstream when things weren't going well. And I got a front row seat on that. I was on one of the subcommittees and he really did bring everybody together. Lots of big egos there. I mean, he had GCP people on that one. And, and it was one of the most successful things Cleveland ever did. If anybody's going to be able to keep these wildly disparate people moving in the same direction, it's him. But let's face it, you got somebody representing the Haslam's. They just want their stadium. So, so right. that's going to be a one-trick pony. You got Greg Harris, who pretty much only cares about the Rock Hall. You never hear from him on any other civic projects. So how do you get all of them thinking about regular people in Cleveland who want access to the waterfront? Yeah, I agree. And, and, I, and I think you're right that Dave Gilbert among this group is probably the one who can, you know, build the bridges between all of the stakeholders and, and their, their, uh, their, their interests. All right, Laura, I want it noted. This is the first day I think I ever heard Layla use the term stakeholders. I know, I was just thinking that. If you you notice the tone of how I used it, it was sort of like a... (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about utilizing (laughs) and expending money. I'm calling Mark Vosberg when the podcast (laughs) is over. (laughs) You're listening to Today in Ohio. You would think Jim Jordan had his fill of controversy in his failed bid to become House Speaker, a bid that failed partly because of how he bullied colleagues to try to get their votes. Not so, though. He seems to be redirecting his bullying yet again. Lisa, who's the target this time? Yeah, he's gone back to his his regular job in the House Judiciary Committee of hassling people. So he announced a probe of uh, District 
you know, District of Columbia Attorney General Brian Schwalb, who is investigating conservative legal activist Leonard Leo. So in a letter, uh, Jordan says the probe is politically motivated and potential infringement on Leo's free association and donor privacy. He also questions A.G. Schwalb's jurisdiction, since Leo is not D.C.-based. Um, he's asking for documentation and communications related to inquiries into Leonard Leo and his organizations that include the 85 Fund, Wellspring Committee, Rule of Law Trust, the Concord Fund, and others. And he set a November 13th deadline to get these documents to the Judiciary Committee. So Leo is kind of the co-chairman of the Federalist Society. His Concord Fund has donated $6.1 million to defeat Issue 1 on the November ballot, the abortion amendment. He has backed the nominations of conservative uh, Supreme Court justices. And Politico did an investigation, um, and they followed up previous reporting that one nonprofit registered as a charity paid millions to Leo's for-profit company in the last two years. And he also arranged consulting fees for Supreme Court Court Justices Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, but specifying that her name be left out for the record. The, the, the country got a good window into Jim Jordan's efforts and intimidation as he was trying to get votes for the speaker and every round he lost votes because people were getting more and more offended by his tactics. My, I guess my question is, does his intimidation work? I mean, that's his weapon. He goes out and tries to intimidate prosecutors and everybody else he tries to drag before his committee. But have, have we seen any evidence that anybody is actually intimidated or do people basically just blow him off because he's kind of a clown? But that's really not the goal. I mean, the goal is to generate a narrative that gets picked up by the conservative news outlets so they can. I mean, that's what it is. It's all smoke and mirrors. That's why we need open primaries, because then this stuff wouldn't play as well. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Most people are expected to vote the same way on the abortion and marijuana ballot questions a week from today, Election Day, meaning two yes votes or two no votes. But not everyone, Laura. What did Jake Zuckerman find? There's a lot of overlap, but these are not twin issues. Remember that Baldwin-Wallace poll we talked about a while back? Both issues yielded nearly identical top line results that voters are backing them about 58 or 57 percent for both protection of abortion and legalizing recreational marijuana. And if there's anything that ties these two issues together, it's this aversion to government control. And if you tend to be liberal, you're probably going to vote yes. If you tend to be conservative, you're probably going to vote no. But it's not they're not completely tied together. You can split your votes. And Jake talked to a lot of people who plan to do that. As Jake put it, these exist in a space untethered to the partisanship that mires American politics, which I thought was a pretty smart take. Yeah, I, I guess I, I had thought there'd be a division in the voting before the Baldwin-Wallace poll. But when mm -hmm. the Baldwin-Wallace poll came out, it looked like it was pretty much identical. Mm -hmm. So I'll be interested to see just how many people don't vote the same on both. Yeah, I mean, there. his examples were Republicans who believe life begins at conception, but that marijuana is an issue of personal liberties, or Democrats who see abortion as a woman's health issue, but marijuana as a risk to the public health. So I can understand that you could parse these, but I do think we'll end up seeing pretty similar end results. 
I wonder how many people back in the 60s and 70s who fashioned hash pipes out of plumbing supplies are going to vote against marijuana now. <laughs> Just wondering. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We all know Cuyahoga County is scraping for the cash it needs to build a new jail, partly because the county council squandered $66 million in slush funds. But that doesn't mean there are no costs for the existing decrepit jail. Layla, how much are we spending in taxes to upgrade this place that we're just trying to get rid of as fast as possible? Well, Cuyahoga Executive Chris Ronane is budgeting $15 million to upgrade the Justice Center in 2024, but that amount could exceed $187 million over the next five years if the county stays at the, this current facility long term. County Council is still undergoing the budget hearings and they have to vote on all the expenditures. But it's clear that at least while they make all the decisions that they have to make regarding a new jail facility, most likely to end up in Garfield Heights, they have to keep pumping money into this terrible money pit. <laughs> the $15 million is, is going to go for high priority necessities they need to, to address in the next five years. That will include $2.5 million on elevator renovations, Two and a half million on quartz tower panel sealant and waterproofing, one point six million on renovating the atrium, and one point five million for a central utilities plan study. Beyond twenty twenty five, we're talking about even more involved expenses: forty three million in, in justice center capital improvements. The largest of that would be eighteen point nine million for renovating the upper floors of the quartz tower interior followed by $5 million to replace emergency power generation equipment and $4.6 million for plumbing upgrades. So it's really in the county's best interest to get down to business and, and plan its next steps so this jail project isn't stretched out beyond 2025 when we really start throwing good money after bad. Once this election is over next week, we have to start through our editorial board begging for new candidates to run for county council because part of our problem is the people we have on that council now aren't doing their job. They're not effective. They squandered a ton of money on the MedMart and their slush funds. And we have a crisis. I mean, we've talked about Brandon Krastowski a week ago. These, they didn't even call him to come talk to them. So there's an election next year. I don't know how many of them are up, but we have to get some new candidates that care about doing the county's work. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, it's time for the weather nerd. Today's Halloween, as we said, and it's not 70 degrees like it was last year. Lisa, how does the weather for the holiday this year compare to most years? Well, it's a little bit chillier than normal. We're expecting a high today of about 44 degrees, although it's going to be sunny for most of the day. Um, we did have a freeze warning that's going to expire at 10 o'clock this morning. But temperatures tonight are going to drop near or below freezing, depending on where you are in the state. There's an 80% chance of rain starting around 7 o'clock, but that's going to turn to snow by about 11 o'clock or midnight and we're actually expecting one to two inches and maybe a little bit more in the primary snow belt and possibly thunder snow and the weather channel's jim cantori always always gets ecstatic about thunder snow i love it <laughs> um he does he like screams and yells but the um the high today's high is 15 degrees lower than average it's the sixth 
coolest Halloween since 1950. Um, the average temperature this time of year is 59 degrees. So the lowest ones we see, the coldest Halloweens, 1954, it was 37. In 1993, it was 40 degrees. In 1955, it was 41. And then it was 43 degrees on Halloween in 1996 and 2012. So if we get measurable snow where they actually, you know, they measure it at the Hopkins Airport, it will be the third time since 1950 that we've had snow on Halloween. Um, but we've had trace amounts of snow, which is not measurable in 1951 and 55 and also in 2019. Now the warmest, and there's a whole chart of the, you know, the highs, uh, you know, going back to 1950, but the warmest Halloween we had since 1950 was 82 degrees in 1950, but it was also 75 degrees in 74 and 2003. Yeah, I remember as a kid a couple of really cold Halloweens, and it's not fun going trick or treating when you're wearing all those plastic costumes. So I hope, <laughs> I hope it's somewhat pleasant at least from the six to eight o'clock. Uh, it evening. should. It's going to be cold. It's going to be cloudy. But I think the rain, they say the rain's going to hold off until about seven o'clock. But the, right around midnight is when things really start to crank up. The worst thing is if you have to wear a winter coat over your costume because then nobody gets to see the. I feel like they're much better than when we were kids. Like all these little, little toddlers, they wear these giant, they're practically snowsuits. Actually, somebody in our office was wearing one yesterday. And you could put as many layers as you want and still like stuff them into those and, and zip them up and put the hood on. So they are better than they used to be. But yeah, my daughter's going as Taylor Swift. I don't know how we're going to manage. She's going to be Taylor <laughs> Swift in a winter coat. As long as it's not raining. Raining really yeah, makes trick or treating mm -hmm. miserable. Like their their princess that. dresses just wick that those puddles straight uh, up. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I think and nobody wants to wear boots. Like, do you remember the fights you'd have like as a kid? Like, you're wearing boots in your Halloween costume. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope it's a lovely evening and everybody has a happy and safe Halloween. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, everybody who listens to this podcast. We will return on Wednesday with another discussion of the news. Music.